Hi, this is Alicia from Bachelor in Paradise, and you're listening to Bachelor of Hearts. I'm Osher Ginsberg. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you are on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. Hi, I'm Georgia Love, and you're listening to the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. What do you do with an arts degree? I'm still not sure I know. I skipped three years worth of lectures just to binge watch awful shows. There must be some scholarship for accruing worthless knowledge. It's my only talent, honey. That and losing money. Let your excess hex debts rest and then just join us while we start on our bachelor, bachelor. Hello and welcome back to the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. We are the Bachelor Australia podcast that asks the question... What do you see yourself in three to five years? And if it's not married to me with three to five kids, then what the fuck is your three to five problem? <laughs> Working three to five. <laughs> what a way to make a living. My name is Max Quinn. Joining me, as always, my friend in life and podcast, Xavier Rebetsky Noonan. Xavier, hi. Hi, Max. And joining us this week is no one else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a big week of guests for us. Sure. We had Alicia. We have Beck. Yeah. So nice to have uh, a bunch of Bachelor luminaries joining us on the podcast but this week we're stripping it right back right you know we had a few people who are extremely in the know Mm -hmm. about how things really work Mm -hmm. and now we just have two people who are extremely (laughs) in the know about how things work Um, uh, so we're here to recap the Thursday episode because if you haven't heard it we did recap with Alicia Aiken Radburn episode 7 from Wednesday night on Wednesday night, directly after it aired. Yes, and Thursday night had not happened, and <laughs> now here we are on the other side of it. Look, uh, and what a Thursday it was. Mm. Um, what, let me take the temperature of the room on this episode. Hello. Because um, personally, I felt like it definitely had some highlights, but also on the whole, it was not an episode I was especially fond of. <laughs> I would say that it was a necessary episode in terms of building the narrative and taking it to a new place Mm -hmm. but in terms of what it revealed about some of the characters Mm. it was one of those episodes that soured me on the franchise as a whole Mm. as opposed to when you get some of those beautiful dates where you're reminded that love exists yes yeah yeah yeah. and i feel like um without you know making this seem like it's going to be a boring episode of our recap we were covering a bit of familiar territory in this episode, I True. think. Um, aside from a couple of really standout moments, I felt like we were talking about whether or not people are here for the right reasons a lot. <laughs> like, a lot. Yeah. I feel is... like if you were playing the, the unofficial drinking game of every time that comes up, you would really be in some serious trouble. This is the most right reasons episode that we've had in such a long time. In memory, yeah. And it's really interesting to watch the show, uh, like, quite hard... Like the pendulum swings between self-awareness of this show and its tropes right. to the show just giving us the tropes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And almost in a way that, like, I don't think they would be doing this if they weren't aware of it. Right. Like, you know, it's it's a knowing thing to include it um, at all, I think, at this point. It's the same thing as, like, you know, all of the other little catchphrases that pop up every week. And Absolutely. Kind of Not here to make friends, etc. Sure. But to see it happen this many times mm. was at once... Staggering and also <laughs> just after a while, just a little like it was just wearing me down a bit. It gets, yeah, depending on which way you're looking at it, it either gets progressively funnier or like you just become really numb to it. Mm, mm. Uh, and I think that I erred on the side of funny for most of this episode, mm-hmm. and then it got very unfunny all of a sudden. Mm. And it wasn't quite that thing where it's like, it's funny for a while and then it's unfunny and then it starts happening so many times that you're like, this is actually funny again. That's right. Yeah. It was in that valley, but you know, (laughs) the show's still going. (laughs) The show continues. And that's why I say it was a show for the story this week. Mm. And we've advanced the narrative of particularly conflict between Abby and Sagand Mm. to the point where like you're reaching the climax do you know what i mean like sure. something now has to happen because we've built it to such a point where there is no further exploring we've trodden all of the territory about whether or not this person is here for the right reasons right right reasons um <laughs> well i mean i don't know do we go into the recap let's do it okay um 
So we begin somewhat abruptly with a single date. Wait, 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 wait. What season and what episode? Oh my goodness. Where are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I've just moved. We're in, recording in a new room in my house that we haven't been in barely at all before. That's true because we flick between your house and my house and our studio in the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so everything just feels a little bit <laughs> But this is a good... Remember last week when you said it was season one? Yes. Oh, what a blunder. Oh, I know. Surprised Alicia stuck around. <laughs> anyway, this is The Bachelor Australia season seven, episode eight. And we begin somewhat abruptly with a single date with Kristen. Mm-hmm. No intro to it or anything. And there's been next to no intro to Kristen since the first episode. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, she is, she's waiting on a pier. She's telling us how excited she is for Matt to get to know her. And Matt, in his voiceover, is like, well, I know that Kristen is like a great knowledge base for China stuff, but I'd love to know a bit more about her. And then we cut to a flashback of her doing the China stuff on night one. Right. And so it's interesting that there's been no narrative progression for this character throughout the series, pretty much. Right. It seemed like that China stuff was being introduced on night one and then it was pretty quickly discarded. Yes. Like she would pop up from time to time to be a talking head, but it wasn't like she was like, oh, this is like what happened in like when under Mao's regime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, you know, like, yes. The empire when the empire fell. Yeah. yeah. This is like, oh, it's a Qing dynasty like situation or whatever. Um, but uh, in her intro, Matt kayaks up to greet her and um, Matt says he wants to explore what's beyond this passion um, but then she has this recap where it has to be subtitled because <laughs> she is not speaking English. I don't know if it's Cantonese or uh, Mandarin. Mandarin. I've yeah. no, I'm not a China researcher. Me neither. Um, but they they play the music again. They even play, and I, I didn't notice this the first time, but they play that like super racist, like non-specific, uh, pretty uncomfortable, like uh, East Asian riff, like the na 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 na. Yep. Super not cool. No, it's they're like, like just using it to transition between scenes, completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like what they're expecting you to do is laugh at this, and this is the uncomfortableness of like the tension of the editing of a show that is becoming, to a certain extent, more progressive and more aware. Mm-hmm. We talked last week about how there's suddenly like there's bi visibility on the show, and mm-hmm. there's a, a gay man who appears this week and right. is presented as like a an authority on a topic. Sure, I, do you know what I mean? Like. Uh, at, at the same time, there is somewhat of a reductiveness to the way that you put Kristen on a pedestal as a China researcher. And I personally think that it's beautiful that there's someone here who uh, believes so much in this place and is so enamored by another culture that she wants to bring it to the world. Sure. Uh, but what, what's happening is that we're seeing someone being taken advantage of for Definitely. their passion through, like... Uh, the thing about it is the subtlety of it, right? It's not explicit. We're not sitting here going, and Matt's not sitting there going, look at this crazy China woman. Yeah. You know, what we're getting is music cues that are supposed to be deliberately funny. Mm. And also, it is so rare to hear from Kristen in confessional when it's not a subtitled dub of Mandarin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like, it is a pretty sweet date, I think. I think she seems like... Sweet and kind and, like, interested in pursuing this romantically and, like, quote-unquote here for the right reasons, right, you know? yeah. But, like, you know, they, I mean, it's a great date. They go kayaking together. The canoe tips over. It's, like, wonderful, great, okay, perfect. But it's, like, I can't get past this characterization. It's really odd. Yeah. Um, and so the thing about it is that the more that you get to know Kristen the more that the characterization becomes sort of like invalidated. Mm. And I'm wondering if the musical cues are somewhat inappropriately being used as a reminder. Yeah. Because we haven't seen anything from Kristen so far this season. And is that a flaw in the editing? Yeah, but it's like, it's as if they're embarrassed by the way that they introduced her at first. Right. But all of that stuff happened. It's not like they're doing this from week to week. Like all of this characterization was done well in advance. Totally. Which makes me worried that this will come back up in some way. I don't know. It will have something to do with the reason that she doesn't win or like, you know? Yeah. Like uh, uh, Kristen died on the way back to her home planet. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like there's just something that is floating in the air. And I think we said in the recap for episode one, that this isn't like the high watermark for, um, racist soundtracking for this season but it's kind of like what we're getting is more of the same and i hope that 
as we continue to learn more about Kristen, mm. like it's um, even if it is uncomfortable, it's a misdirect, right? Right. Um, that's the best possible outcome here is that you get the edit of someone who is. Actually, do you know what? Surprise, a contender. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. and it was like... You thought she was crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, well, they end up on land um, playing some inexplicable game of noughts and crosses. Yeah. Um, or as Matt calls it, hugs and kisses. Very cute. Um, with the prize being a sensual foot rub. And like, I'm in the back of my mind, I'm like, is this like a Chinese massage thing? Or like, am I worried? But, you know, I put that to sleep. Yep. Um... Because it turns out to be really nice. First of all, Kristen wins a game of noughts and crosses, which I have truly never seen in my entire life. As a human life. adult, how do you lose a game of noughts and crosses, Mr. Astrophysicist? Can I say, yeah, the man with a PhD <laughs> is like, hmm, I'm going to put these things to each other. <laughs> I Completely mean... <laughs> undersells the entire characterization of him as a nerd. Surely it's a trope of narrative, right? Well, Surely I mean... The Bachelor is like... Uh, falling on his sword for her. Right. He's like, oh, oops, I guess you're going to have to give me a foot rub. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to have to give you a foot rub. Either or. Yeah. Mm. Um, the foot rub sort of spirals into something pretty fucking brilliant. This yep. is, in my opinion, the highlight of the episode. Kristen says, and it's due to Kristen's, like, being on, putting the right foot forward, so to speak. Yeah. Um, she says, feel free to explore further, whatever feels good to you. And it's like, right. we are flirting on TV. This yeah. is what this show is about. They soon start rubbing coffee grounds all over each other, all over Matt's abs, then all over Kristen's face until they are both absolutely encrusted with it. It's fun. Yeah. This is what we're here for. It's one of the best visuals that the show has served up in recent memory. It, of course, calls to mind the chocolate bath date that Mm -hmm. uh, Richie and Alex shared. And, like, similarly, I guess in some way it gives credence to the messy date thing that I was talking about last week. That's true. Where, like, somebody can come right from the back of the pack, like, all the way up to the front if they have a messy date with the batch. (laughs) Because, like, they are just completely vulnerable together. Mm -hmm. They are letting down their walls. And also there's just a lot of, like, skin-on-skin contact that kind of happens unavoidably. That's it. Yeah, it is a vulnerability thing. And it's also like, hey, I'm a willing participant in this weird shit with you. Right. And it's a tacit acknowledgement of how fundamentally fucked this whole experience is that we're going through. Yes. You know, like... No one in their everyday life would want to, not would want to, but like would find themselves in a situation where you would be a part of this. Sure. Yeah. And so for Kristen especially to play Mm. in this environment is really like, it's compelling TV. Mm. And I don't know if it's like a subtle foreshadowing. If you know the history of the show, hey, you saw what happened with Alex and Richie, Mm. maybe in three years, Matt and Kristen will be divorced on Paradise (laughs) 2. It also made me think, um, and this is something that I keep coming back to about the conversation we had with Alicia, which was her talking about the way that dates can sometimes feel like they are picked specifically for you at that specific time in the, in the competition or whatever. And like, call it producer intervention, call it like fate or, you know, however you want to look at it. But like Kristen has been so solidly put in the back of my mind. Right. I think deliberately, but in, in terms of her having a very one note characterization and in terms of being fairly absent yes that like having this date you know it's it's not uh one of the it's not like a skydiving date or something like that like it's a date it's they're not in separate airplanes you know what i mean like yes they are being positioned as very close to each other they are providing this opportunity for them to have like physical touch um it can't be a coincidence although i will say the physical touch that they end up having is Matt seated in a bucket. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, they're both covered in coffee grounds at this time. And like, she leans over and they're making out. And I think that like full credit to the show for making it like vaguely sexy. They made it as steamy as possible, but I see where you're going. It looked so uncomfortable. Like I was just (laughs) doing that thing, like my back would not accommodate this. You know, like I would just be bent at an angle that doesn't, work for my own personal physics mm. yeah I, I, that's true i think credit to both the the you know editors and production and whatever and also both of the participants um for making this as good as possible totes um and you know i start thinking like oh maybe she's like secretly a front runner or whatever except then they don't have a batchy couch thing yeah um, and and weirdly that's kind of the end of the day there we learn later that she got a rose but we don't even see it it's 
has to be a cut for time editing thing, right? I would think so. Or maybe it was just so uninteresting. Like they didn't, you know, they couldn't peak. They, they peaked early. Yeah. I don't know. They're, yeah. It's, it's a really odd thing because usually that time is used to give the audience the chance to get to know the person mm. as much as it is used for the people to get to know each other. Sure. So either what's happened is that it has happened on the show, but due to time constraints and all of the rest of the drama that we seem to need to see mm. with the right reasons, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's being cut for time. Mm. Or there was like, um, you know, just nothing in it. Yeah, but that that was that part was a shame to me, particularly on reflection, because I was thinking about the other parts of the episode that I was not into as much. Totally. And I was just like, I would rather be spending time doing that. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like, it, it calls into question... Uh, well, is the show here for the right reasons? <laughs> <laughs> if you're playing the drinking game along with this podcast, you might also be in for a bit of trouble. <laughs> um, the group date cards clue is a fun misdirect. Um, it says, when it comes to love, you want to fly high. Who will be your wingman? And everyone's like, oh, cool. It's going to be something really fun. Might be like another airplane date mm-hmm. or like, you know, bungee jumping. Or- yeah, that date worked out so well for Monique <laughs> that like... <laughs> okay. Yes, the fair point. Um, <laughs> But uh, then we learned that it is a uh, meeting and being grilled by Matt's friend date, um, which will apply to just four of the women, which mm. is kind of interesting. It's it's like, a, you know, because this type of date pops up, I think, most seasons now. Yeah. And it is sort of like a practice for the hometown date. Yeah. But in this instance, we get the same number of people that would be on the hometown date. So it makes me think, like, are we going to have a hometown date with any of these women? You know, yeah. Like, uh, you know, what are, what are we b- being positioned to think about them? Well, let's talk through who are the four women on the date. So we've got Sagand, Ellie, Abby, and somebody named Cassandra. Right. <laughs> who so- I... Looked up. <laughs> She's <laughs> a jewelry designer. She's been there the whole time. Yeah. So Cassandra was someone who, in the last episode, got a couple of confessionals for the first time in a long time. Mm. We were sort of reminded, and they do this often on the show, they remind you that somebody exists the, either the episode that they go home or the episode before they go home. Yes. So we got two confessionals from Cassandra the last episode, and then this episode is the episode where she is brought in to... Matt's uh, friend Kate mm. as sort of like this is the person who I would say by production this is the person who is going to quote unquote fail the date mm. by talking about her career because that's what she's interested in mm-hmm. and you know that's her like her goal at the moment and it doesn't align with Matt so right. she's going to be the person who goes home at the end of the episode explaining the edit yes and were they uh, anticipating the other stuff that happens on this date to happen yes I mean I think so yeah um, so I think it is kind of funny, um, that it is Matt's close friend, Kate, because I don't know if I have a specific example in mind, but in my recollection, it is usually a family member yeah. who appears here. And it's like, it has never been more obvious to me that Matt is an only child <laughs> than, than this. Um, as the women are walking up, uh, towards Matt and Kate, um, you hear Cassandra in confessional say, Matt has a female next to him, <laughs> which is like a very abstract thing to say about someone that you might respect the opinion of. You know? It's like, yeah, it's, um, I feel like if you're in the mansion for that, that long to play armchair psychologist a little bit, mm. your um, senses would go off. For anyone who is, like, vaguely possibly threatening to you. Right. And the maximum threat level, like your uh, amygdala, mm. is just like, bang! You know, like, they, the reaction time for threat is just so reduced that anything could be. So, to make things fair, yes. which I really like, uh, Matt tells the women that they've each got a friend here to surprise them as well. So, we meet um, Sagan's adorable gay friend, Max. Um Cassandra, who has a friend she introduces as Amazing Veronica, <laughs> which is really great. Reminds me of Vanessa Sunshine in a way. It's great. Um, Ellie has a friend named Abby, and Abby is joined by her big sister, Jolie. Um, so we watch as all the friends catch up, um, except we absolutely don't because we're focusing on just a couple of them. Sagan's friend, Max, overhears Abby's laugh and says, she's funny. Mm-hmm. Um and he takes a big sip of his wine. Um, and then Sagan sort of talks shit about Abby pretty much straight away. And Max continues, Sagan is like an onion. She's very passionate. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, it's the line of the episode. Yeah. It's so good. So one of my reservations is that people could interp- misinterpret what she says in a negative way. Just like an onion. Just like an... How many times have you misinterpreted the words of an onion? Yeah, I mean, because uh, they come at you with this like nice, robust flavor profile. Yeah. But then suddenly I'm crying. I know. You know? I understand exactly what Max is saying here. Mm. It makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. And... They're like, obviously, we should not interrogate this any further. No. <laughs> Do you think the two of you have some sort of understanding just based on the same first name situation? Yeah, there's a kinship here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as I have with all of the other people named Xavier who are on this program. <laughs> um, Kate starts pulling the women aside to see if uh, they are there for the right reasons. Um, this is when we really start, like, hitting the, the like, count, you know? Yep. Um this uh, It's also probably the most dull part, in my opinion. Everybody's playing it kind of safe. Um, Ellie says she definitely has feelings for Matt. Um, when, she, when she's asked if she has marriage and kids in her future, she's very quick to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, she then starts talking about her work as a registered nurse and seeing bad things happen to good people, and she begins to cry. Do you think this is real? Like, where do you think this comes from? I think this comes from a place of empathy. Mm. Uh, like, I liked this for Ellie, and I know, have no doubt this is a really deliberate inclusion from the show. Sure. Because they want you to empathize with her. You Definitely. Know? And the music and the stuff that's surrounding it, the confessionals either side from Kate and from Ellie aren't like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing that I cried about how bad things happen to good people. Sure. You know, it's like Kate being like, oh, I think she's really genuine. Mm. And that's what the the show is like conditioning you to think. I guess the the only reason I raise that question is like, mm. I, I don't think we are shown enough of it to quite understand what is bringing on that emotional reaction. Right. Um, which I can understand them cutting around it and that kind of thing, but it does kind of just come out of the blue. Nobody yeah. else has a response like that to anything. Really. This is a heavily cut episode by virtue of the fact that we don't get an intro we don't get any couch time with Kristen right and some of these things do feel a little bit like we're hitting the checkpoint and then we're out because we've got to get to this big dramatic conclusion later right and essentially you just get the idea of what's going on with Ellie and then Mm. that's it and so by and large the purpose of this date is to establish who's going home who's a front runner and then continue the conflict right uh, Cassandra is asked about what's next for her And she says she wants to expand her business to Melbourne and overseas She sounds really excited about it Yeah And it sounds cool Yeah um, She does say the word business about six times within the space of like 30 seconds mm-hmm. And so you're right Like it becomes incredibly obvious who's going home this episode To the extent that like all of the conflict between uh, Sagand and Abby yeah. Becomes less interesting I think like, you know that it is building and that this is a gradual thing and that it'll pay off eventually. But then the amount of time that's spent on it later in the episode and the amount of time they put, the amount of energy they put into trying to convince you that one of them might go home, it's, it rings false to me. It's really labored and uh, you're absolutely right. False mm. is, is the way that it feels. Um, Kate also points out that 23-year-old Abby is, quote, quite a bit younger, um, which is a thought that didn't occur to her when talking to the 24-year-old Ellie, (laughs) which is quite similar to Matt's perspective on the ages of some of these people. Like how 23-year-old Abby is not too young for him, but 23-year-old Vako is? Right. Yeah. And, you know, he, I mean, you know, there's a certain level to which, like, he is talking about their maturity and, Mm -hmm. you know, people of all ages can act in different ways and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, But it's like... When you have just arrived here and are kind of just looking at the numbers and knowing a pretty small amount about all of the women, um, it's interesting for that to be something that sticks. Totally. Yeah. Abby says, I'm open to getting married, but I'm not dying to get married. And then, like, the villainous music starts playing. Mm. And this turns out to be, like, quite a big theme of this episode. I feel like it's a bit of a double standard. I feel like um, Abby's got a a somewhat more complex view of marriage than some of the other people in Mm -hmm. there. And a somewhat, you know, I mean, besides the fact that she's 23 and maybe hasn't completely sorted out the exact answer she wants to give publicly about this. Yeah. um, It's also like, it's a topic that you don't want to say something without meaning it. I feel like she it, it, it is cut together to make it seem like she's a bit back and forth about this topic. Yeah, like um, she's reversing herself. Right, when in actuality, like, I don't think you necessarily have to have that firm of an idea about that. Yeah, well, like, consider this. Firstly, we got uh, a date with her two episodes or three episodes ago where 
she's opening up about her family history of divorce mm. and how her relationship with her dad doesn't exist right. and how difficult that has made her family life. Mm-hmm. And no doubt she has an idea of marriage that is like conditioned from the way that she's grown up. Absolutely. So you want to put that out there as like a, a blanket over all of this because everyone's contexts are different. And yes, fall in love is the objective of the show. Of course. But you've been saying since the first episode... It seems more than ever like get married is an objective of this particular season. Yeah. So that's like for me that's really interesting. And maybe the the most diplomatic way to answer that is like, look, I don't know where I see myself in three to five years, but mm. I know that I really connect with Matt. Right. And if marriage is something that's important to him, as then it that's seems to be. Yeah, that I want to make important to me too. Right. But at the same time, I'm twenty three years old. I have this family history of divorce and I don't really um you know, I'm not, as she says, I'm not dying to get married, mm. but it is something that as partners who value each other that I would want to talk about and fully engage in that conversation. Right. Particularly if she was given the impression that she was going to win and this was a real, like, I feel like the question of whether or not you will marry someone should not be made this early. Right. Particularly in this environment, obviously, which kind of forces the answer out of you, but like, you know, you don't have to know that for years and years into a relationship. That's right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm sure you feel it instinctively. And sometimes you're at a place in your life when you're looking to get married. Mm. And I think that that's what's being teased out here ultimately. But the way that it's being phrased and the way that it's being put to the women is quite direct and personal. Yeah. And again, I think it speaks to like, obviously the accelerated, uh, you know, timing of this entire process. Right. But also within that, like this episode. Yes. Like there's no room for nuance within these answers, really. Mm -hmm, It's kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, you see Kate giving a bit of a weird look to her when it seems like she's changing her answer or whatever. But I mean, I don't know if she is necessarily changing her answer. I think she's just kind of trying to talk it out. Right. Exactly. And I think that that is something that um, you... Necess- like you would be necessary and that you definitely would do in order to give a really genuine and honest answer. Right. It is interesting, I'll flag though in this episode, that we've already seen Abby uh, be wrong about something mm. and I think that that was a deliberate inclusion. Earlier on the Kristen date, there's a cut to the mansion where Abby says basically like, I'm not threatened by Kristen. I don't think that they'll have any sexual chemistry. Right. And it's an interesting narrative device that the show will often use where they'll set someone up as like, oh, well, they've obviously got the wrong answer here mm. so that in, uh, you know, th- three minutes time when Kristen's making out with Matt, you think, oh, well, Abby was wrong about that. Right. And then in three more minutes time when Abby's reversing herself about whether or not she wants to get married, you're like, oh, well, this woman just doesn't know what she wants. Yeah, she doesn't know what's going on at all. Right. Right. Um, meanwhile, Matt exchanges roughly one sentence with each of the women's friends. Um can't remember any of it. Nope. Uh, Sagan's friend Max takes the opportunity to hang shit on Abby at this point. This is much like of the focus of what happens from here on. Um, he tells Matt that she, quote, might be here for the wrong reasons. Um, and meanwhile, Sagan makes it a priority to rat-, rat out Abby to Kate. It's really good of Max to come on the show and just hit the cliche over <laughs> the head as hard as he possibly fucking can in his three sentences. I bet he would have been absolutely overwhelmed with the opportunity to do so totally and like the whole conversation between max and matt feels entirely produced Mm. right like Mm. this is one of those things where um max isn't giving away the subject of sagan's concern right but it is like we're breadcrumbing it out so that all of a sudden we can have this round two of Matt going full Australian Federal Police on the women. Right. And and it's also like, he doesn't have to say specifically what the problem is because somebody else is saying it. Yeah. And like subconsciously, when they include all these sentences together about the different issues that people have with Abby, you can just assume that they're all on the same page. Right. Um, it is a little bit tedious, I think, at this point. Like, you say it's very produced. It is also like, the producers are capable of making other choices I think than to just have like the friend say they're not here for the right reasons and like at this point I feel like it's a little bit tedious yeah and and similarly with Sagand like I just found myself wishing I, uh, I I want her to have more going on than this right she uh, this is we were saying last episode like she has chosen Abby as her hill to die on yeah whereas like fuck you would want to just 
be like yourself and give your best possible representation of your own authentic self yeah. in this case because yeah. and maybe she is doing that to camera and there's a lot of other stuff going on for her but as she becomes more and more embroiled in the conflict mm. it looks less and less good for her on the TV and I have a feeling maybe she's being riled up yeah. by handlers and maybe some of the other women as well perhaps um, but yeah, Kate, um, Kate puts it together that Abby may not have worked out her feelings and plans towards marriage a hundred percent of the way yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so therefore she's deeply concerned and she needs to tell Matt all about it. Right. And Matt's like, what am I going to do with these 30 to 50 women within three to five years of entering <laughs> the bachelor mansion? That's right. Um, well, Kate tells Matt that Ellie would fit in with his life in Melbourne really well, saying she's here for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. So as you said, like fast track to the top five or whatever. Bang. Thank you. Pencil her in. Um, she says Cassandra is focused on continuing to grow her business. So, you know, great. Wouldn't engrave a bit of wood with a wav form for her. <laughs> she's doing the recap for us, essentially. <laughs> um, she then lays out the situation with Abby and Sagand. And I like that um, Matt says, you know, after hearing all of this, stuff Mm. he's like well i feel that it is essentially just coming from one source that was really smart of him yeah and he's like i feel like this is secondhand information from sagan that is kind of just coming through someone else's voice right now true um and uh you know he 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 does point out that it is throwing up quote a series of yellow flags (laughs) (laughs) as we all know is the worst kind of flag i don't really understand i thought you're supposed to swim between the yellow flags (laughs) i guess it's like He's not red carding them. Ah, okay. Sort good. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like, slow down. Don't, you know, it's a busy Um Kate says, I don't necessarily think that she's here for the wrong reasons, but she may, may not be here for the same reasons as you. Which is like, okay, there's a bit of a twist on it, I guess. I, yeah, I'm kind of into that as uh, a pretty, like, astute way of summarizing what could be going on with Abby. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what Alicia said in the last episode was that it, it felt to her like uh, Abby was here to win the show and maybe not, like, end up with Matt. Mm. And that could be the characterization that we're getting, mm. being obviously mindful of the fact that this is an edited program and that the representation sure. of someone is what the show wants you to see. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you don't get the sensation that she's here to win. Like, I think when people talk about the wrong reasons, like, there's a number of things they might mean. Yes. I think chief among them is, like, for notoriety and for Instagram followers and, like, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily get the impression that that's what she's here to do primarily. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's, like, an added bonus. But I, I think what Alicia said about, like, wanting to win did resonate with me. Yeah. Um, even though, like, there's no real prize necessarily aside from, like that relationship there's a lot of sort of stuff that comes along with that and um it is also just like that's what the structure of the show is engineered towards yeah if you're on the tv more you have more opportunities to sell yourself and i don't know if that's abby's motive but it is interesting to watch people um approach the same end result in different ways yeah and and i feel like on some level it's just like being victorious yes. is her goal. You yeah. know, like, uh, it's, you know, uh, if you don't win, you lose. Right, kind of and thing. that's it. And, like, you would obviously feel a deep sense of injustice, particularly if you were Abby, around all of the things that are happening to her mm. very, like, um, conspicuously in the house. Yeah. Um, well, Matt, sort of in response to this, says it's a lot to think about. And I did get the impression that he's actually sort of considering it. Yeah. Um, he says, well, of course I value Kate's opinion. I really value what me and Abby have. And I'm not sure if I'm ready to throw that all away. Yep. Which is like, good. You don't want him to just like take this uh, full cloth. What's that word? Uh, you don't want him to just like take this on regurgitate it to the women and then send Abby home or, you know, yeah, anything like that. Yeah, what we've got is like a really even-keeled bachelor here. And even in the way that he kept Monique around for that extra week so that he could see what the deal was. Right. You know, um, and I think that this is good bacheloring by Matt. Right. He's not driven by, like, temper. He's not driven by instinct. Yeah. I think he is really... As much as we say that he's being the Australian Federal Police or he's being Sherlock Holmes or whatever, like yeah. he is actually interested in hearing both sides of the story most right. of the time. Yeah, um, um, and that's like the scientific process, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Um, so we cut to the cocktail party um, where we learn that Ellen, uh, Ellie and Kristen have roses. Right. Don't know sure. when that happened, but that's great. Eleanor 
who is dressed, as my partner Evie said, as a beautiful blonde Frankfurt, <laughs> um, feels a bit off about not having kissed Matt on their date. Yeah. Um, which was a little while ago now. So they sit together on a batchy couch and they chat for a moment about their connection before correcting the mistake and sharing a pash. A pash at a cocktail party. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. The third one of the season. <laughs> right. Such a scandal. I know. It is like, it is interesting, I want to say, to have the show really coming into its own in terms of having The Bachelor doing a bit more kissing. Yeah. He's very lips forward. Yes. And mm. that's cool and good. Sure. I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, I mean, it's... we've talked about this a lot. Like, the US version is, like, very sex positive in a yeah, way. Yeah. Aside from the fact that there's, like, slut shaming and that kind of stuff that goes on there. Yeah. It happens here too. But, like, it is understood that part of the show is that sexual connection. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it's like, if someone is kissing too many people, it's seen to be, like, you know, a big new idea okay magazine seller right and I, I don't understand what that says about our cultural climate but i like it in the in the sense that it's becoming a little bit more normalized yes and um the best part is that the frankfurt was clearly dipped in tomato sauce uh and matt <laughs> ends up with heaps and heaps of red lippy all over his face and in confessional he laughs i look like the joker <laughs> it's so good it's pretty funny that's I mean, I said that the chocolate thing was the best visual of the season, but this is like... Way it's a close there. second, yeah. yeah. Um, and for this to have happened two times to him... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sagand tells the other women, I don't want to rub it in, but it was honestly the best group date ever. Which is quite telling because she didn't even talk to Matt on the day. Yeah. Like, I get that maybe she feels that it was the best group date ever because she got to see her friend. But also, like... If we're talking about the right reasons, like, you would have to feel that one of the right reasons is spending time with The Bachelor. Right. We're talking to motive here. Yeah. And we're not getting a clear one from Sagand. Mm. And uh, at this point, Rachel has evidently had about enough of Sagand, mm. which is kind of interesting. I didn't really see this coming. Um, she, uh, Rachel's overheard what um, Sagand told Kate on the group date. Well, she, you know, she didn't overhear it, but she's heard about she's it. She's told it, yeah. She tells Abby, what the fuck is wrong with her? And in confessional, she says, I'm honestly not a fan of Abby, but I need a little bit of drama in my life. <laughs> so I'm like, Perfect. Thank God. Perfect. Like, she could not be playing this better. Yeah. She is like a heaven sent producer's dream. Yeah. Like, this is reality TV at its most distilled. Yes. It's just, it is. I, I heard that confessional and I was like, Fuck, you are good at this. Yes. You are. You have accepted what you are here to do. Right. And you are crushing it. And in this moment, yeah, she she takes up this coveted position of snitch. <laughs> um, but she does it with so much style. She's serving these big frowny faces and she tells Abby, quote, she's a fuckwit, hey. It's like she's almost here for the wrong reason, trying to push it on other people. She needs to fucking grow up. She's almost 30 and acting four and talking shit about a 23-year-old. And like... Abby, to her credit, seems like completely plays a straight man, even though, like, she seems, like, properly upset and, like, mm -hmm. this is enough to spur her on to go and have this conflict, which feels almost inevitable. Right. Even though, like, this is such an entertaining, hilarious little monologue. Yes. Like, does Rachel, has Rachel always ruled this much and I just didn't notice? I'm going to say that we haven't had the opportunity to see Rachel rule all that much because... Uh, we might have too many cooks this season, mm. you know, mm. and some of the stuff that's happened is because the drama is so elevated and that there's not that need for pot, pot stirring that much. Right. You that's know? a good point. Like, I can see her being cast as someone who will, like, rile other people up and that kind of thing. And yeah, you're right. I just think she's kind of bled into the background because there's not that much need for it. That's true. Yeah. So, Abby decides that she needs to have a little chat with Sagand. Uh, and Sagand says, I have my doubts about you, like 90% of the girls here, even your close friends. No one else wants to say it to your face, but everyone talks about you behind your back. That's horrible. It is. Isn't it vicious? It's, ju it's just, I, it's such a mean thing to say to a person and my empathy bone was so bruised for Abby in that moment. Yeah. And what we are shown on the TV is all that we can comment on, right? Yeah. And Sagand in real life and the situation as it played out in the mansion might be entirely different to that. Sure. But all we've seen is Abby doing what it takes to win, and mm. that's certainly spurning, um, like, 
saw feelings in some of the other women and perhaps deservedly so because she's playing a different game to the game that they are playing, mm-hmm. they, you know, mm-hmm. and I understand that. But the the way to tackle that is not to say to someone, do you know what? Even the people who think that, like, is not to say to someone, do you know what? Even the people who you think that they're your friends, mm. they actually fucking hate you and you should go, you should leave this place right now. Right. I mean, like, that's bullying. It's like high school shit. Like, yeah. It's, it's messed up. It did start me thinking, though, about something that, I want to entertain this idea, even though I feel like if it was happening, the producers would not be able to resist showing it to us. Yeah. But it started me thinking about if Sagand feels like everyone else feels the same way as her, but none of them are, you know, brave enough to come out and say it. Mm. Is there a possibility that the other women are riling up Sagand to, you know, because they know that she will enter into a conflict like this and it is a way for them to get rid of her to get drama happening within the house that they don't need to be a part of themselves yeah um, it's, it's to like generate narrative that doesn't necessarily have to focus on them but know that they will look better for not being a part of it it's pretty four-dimensional chess mm. but i wouldn't count that out as a possibility like i, don't know. I feel like if you look at sagan in this competition over the last week or two like there's no doubt that she will bring this around and you know like it she will be eliminated she doesn't win the show right and i think like if i was in the house and if i was seeing things with anywhere near the amount of clarity that we're being shown naturally we're being shown quite a skewed perspective on things right but i would look at this and go i've seen reality tv this doesn't end well for sagan yeah and maybe i will help this along in some way. I'm not a good person no, <laughs> for doing this. But. No. I mean, we just got that confessional from Rachel where she was like, you know what? I need a bit of drama in my life. I will help this along in some way. Right, exactly. So, so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, has any of this stuff been happening that we haven't seen already? It's entirely possible that it has. I would also like to flag, again, um, like, labeled herself as someone who doesn't usually participate in mm. conflict so i don't know how um how much her going to war in this is indicative of her feeling a real feeling of injustice mm. or maybe it's the case that like you are the you're the author of your own story you're the hero in your own whatever yeah. right and maybe you see it uh, in such a skewed way that you think you know what the whole country is going to be on board with me doing this and i'm going to look sure. really good for shutting down the person who's fake and you know what, like, there's there's going to be tons of people who are in Sagan's camp about this. Certainly. You know, um, I'm not in the camp of Sagan for the way that she went about it, but I empathize with the feeling of um, injustice if that is indeed mm. what's playing out in the house. I don't know that it is, and we're certainly not being shown that what is happening is that Abby is, like, you know, um, serving it up uh, in the same way that Sagan is, mm. but at the same time, we're being shown an edit. Right. Yeah. And, and and to the show's credit, there is enough room there for both perspectives to carry through. Yes. You know, it's not a completely one-sided thing. And uh, there is, you know, that's where the interesting stakes in this conflict come from. Right. Um, with that said, interesting stakes, you know, we're getting to a rose ceremony where we fucking know exactly what's going to happen. Um, it, it's uh, the roses go out in this order. Elena, Sagan, Nikki, Chelsea, Mary, Emma, Nicole, Abby, and Rachel. So, yeah, it's Cassandra, who will no longer be any of Matt's business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, snooze, you know? Like, yeah. I, there were no stakes to the rose ceremony. Yeah. And that's okay. It... Not every show has to climax at the very end. Yes. Um, I think, honestly, uh, the most engaging parts were like sort of side quests <laughs> on this episode. Yes. Like the little single date um, where we learned a lot more about, well, we didn't really learn a huge amount more about Kristen, but uh, we certainly engaged in some interesting stuff with her. Yeah. Um, and then like maybe the joke of <laughs> face thing. <laughs> was also really good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Cassandra, like we wish you all the very best, whatever. Right. So the thing is now that we're at a point in the show where we at least can name all of the women. Yeah. 
That is true. I have not been relying on the uh, the list uh, on the on the website anymore. That's it, you know. And this is the point of uh, it would be like the merge and survivor. Do you know what I mean? It's the yep. point of investment where everyone is like, "Cool, what's Rachel up to? What's whoever?" Mm. And um, at least on a surface level, everyone has a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it's um, not necessarily like. Um, I wouldn't say it's good storytelling on the part of the show because sometimes someone's thing is she likes China, mm. but at the same time, it's effective storytelling in that we're hitting the checkpoints and now whenever someone goes home, you'll feel it because there will be inevitable drama or investment or some kind of stake in, I recognize and know who this person is and what they're about. Yeah, and I think this is the part of the season that we always connect a bit more with Yeah, um, because there is that sort of emotional stake to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in monologues, Sagand says, girls are being sent home over Abby, who I know are here for the right reasons. And it's like, what, in this instance, are you talking about Cassandra? Yeah. The one who has had two sentences on, you know, of, of confessional and one of them was about her jewelry business. That's right. Yeah. Uh, or I guess like half a dozen of them were the word business. Yes. Um, which like, that's not to say that she's not you know, an interesting or good person, or you know, she's here for the wrong reasons or anything like that. But, mm. like, she's not exactly, like, vying for camera time in, in, at every moment. Right. She's not hitting the same checkpoints that Matt wants to hit. Right. Um, Sagand then has the closing narration that she has had, like, the the Dr. Claw thing. Three for, episodes in a row now. I think it's even four now. Yeah, right. Um, Sagand says, all I'm thinking uh, is when is Abby's bullshit going to end? But you know what? It can only go on for so long and her time will come. Which is like the most villainous. <sighs> it's so ominous. Mm. And I wonder if Sagan thought that she would be the villain going into this. Well, I didn't pick it. Like, Me neither. I, I normally pride myself on being able to spot the archetypes and stuff like that. And even in the first couple of episodes where there was like, you know, they introduced... Now I now I see the the pieces being laid out or whatever but right. like the the you know there's already one persian yeah like that whole thing that was i guess her being sort of territorial in the same way that she's being here right and they were leaning on that you know creating emphasis on that so that we would get that you know perspective of, of her right but even at that moment i was like no there are like three or four other people here who i would consider more villainous right right and, and maybe like, it's just that those people have already been knocked out or whatever true uh, even the sleight of hand of uh you know her coming into the mansion and teaching matt one thing but it actually means another thing mm, exactly yeah there's at a that, lot more at to that be read early into point it. i was like oh this is great she's like it's cute and cheeky playing the game it's cheeky she's a bit fun yeah and it's like oh well i and like it there exists a possibility that it could be both, right? Right. I think that Sagan very much still could be cute and cheeky and fun and just be like, have have been, um, what do you call inflated mm. as the, like that target for drama on this season. Yeah. As someone who, uh, because Monique has been sent home, is going to be the person who like champions this cause. Yeah. And... I don't know. I I don't think that what is being shown on the screen is necessarily altogether indicative of who Sagand is as a full person. No. And certainly there are there are parts of what we've been seeing that aren't really like um very becoming of of how to be nice full stop to another mm. human being even if you are frustrated with them. Um but I also get the feeling that like you know ba- based on the conversation we have with Alicia not to keep going back to it or whatever but like I think about Sagand going home and watching this and like it, I feel like it will really affect her yeah because I don't think she came into this like sometimes there there are people who are cast as villains or you know play villain roles within this show who it feels like that was the idea from the get-go right or at least that was the idea of casting them from Nicole the get-go rocks up on a fucking motorbike right 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 um but I don't get that impression with Sagan. No, it feels lie. like the situation and the people involved and perhaps the producers and obviously like the people doing the edit and that sort of thing mm. are conspiring against her to bring out that reaction. Yeah, or like yeah, and I don't know if it is um the like overt um conspiracy or if it is just the confluence of circumstances that have brought this out of her. Mm. But it has to be said that, you know, it's reality TV. What's happening is that we're putting people in situations and watching them react. Right. And the way that Sagand has been shown to react is unbecoming. Yeah. Uh, Next week, 
dangerous romance. Um, fire twirling, more airplanes. And then Mary tells Matt that, quote, someone in the house is interested in someone on the crew. Can't wait for this. Now, I did suggest this last week. Yep. <laughs> and I'm not saying that they heard our podcast ah. with Alicia and decided to re-edit it, but, you know. We put that episode... Oh, no, you know what? We put that episode out after the Thursday night's episode aired. So, yeah. <laughs> in no world is that even... Nope. We can't entertain that possibility. But you know what? We have some influence. <laughs> um, <laughs> Refuse to believe it. <laughs> we see Matt interrupting a confessional being taped by Rachel. And, you know, she's talking about, like, well, I didn't think it was that much of a big deal. And yeah. Like, you know, and... It's just going to be fucking amazing. I can't wait for this. Um, this is the good villain, Rachel, that she was brought in here to just um, explode right. in a glorious rainbow at a certain point, And that's what's going to happen this week. And this I, is I just can't wait to get around it. Going to be incredible. And I can't believe I am going to miss it. Yes. But uh, I'm going away for a couple of weeks, listeners. Yeah. So uh, for the next couple of weeks, you will be hearing uh, this sweet voice. Hello. On the podcast, uh, my girlfriend Danny uh, is going to join us and commandeer the other microphone. We love Danny. You mm-hmm. guys are in for a treat. Um, and I'm going to Japan with my girlfriend Evie. We're going to have a wonderful time. I'm sure I will bring back some stories. Do they have love there? I I'm don't know. Please do some research. <laughs> yeah. I think there was a Bachelor Japan. I don't know, but I would be very interested. Hmm. I don't speak any Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) I may not be able to bring back a huge amount of intel, um, but I don't know. I'll bring back souvenirs. We'll get a little translator for you and uh, it'll be fine. Yes. Um, So I look forward to hearing the next couple of episodes. Mm, Thank you. Um, As always, we did actually come here to make friends. Mm -hmm. um, And one way that we love to do that is by going onto the internet. I'll still have internet access. W. W. (laughs) Dot. (laughs) You don't know it? The... It's, you can find uh, us on social media at BOH Pod. At BOH Pod, I knew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were getting there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of W's. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, please, uh, please find us on uh, on your social media. Please find us on your uh, podcasting app of choice and spread the love around. Uh, yeah. Share it around with some friends. Why not? That's what we truly love. And uh, you know, t- uh, fly safe. Um, t- uh, make sure you uh, let them know about your. Um, uh, dietary requirements um, And uh, just so you know They are screening Aquaman on the plane So <laughs> That's really exciting I assume I'm taking all the listeners with me to Japan have seen, right? Have you seen it yet? Tell me what's going on with Have that. I seen Aquaman? What's yeah What's going on with the Aquatic Man? <laughs> Only twice in theatres <laughs> um, I hope uh, Oh god I'm just really excited to hear what the podcast is like without me who knows? I Who hope can... Max manages to get it online. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the true challenge. All right. Listeners. Take care. I love you. Bon voyage. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> we'll see you in a few weeks. Goodbye. Love you. Love you.